Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. As always, I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. And today we have another highly accomplished, big-time celebrity guest for you, our listeners and viewers. And we can't wait to tell you all about him. But before we do, we got to give it up to sponsors of the show, your friends and ours. No judges needed. Your one-stop shop for all of your combat sports needs involving the grappling arts. I'm talking fight shorts. I'm talking rash guards. I'm talking geese modeled by a very familiar face if you look on the screen right now. Uh, now, we know that everybody's looking to upgrade their swag all the time. 90% of the reasons we do this sport are, are to look cool in all this gear. Uh, but we also know that the, our audience is very frugal. So we want to help you guys out, get you guys upgraded, and save you a little bit of money. So use the promo code JJT at checkout. Save you 20% off all purchases from the site. Insanely good deals. And nothing but the best for you, guys. We love you. We love you, and we can't wait to, to keep revving up into this new year. A little rocky starts here and there, but you know we're, we're we're really optimistic. So thank you again to No Judges Needed. That's www.nojudgesneeded.com. Okay, ad read over. This guest is one of the premier grappling coaches in North America, responsible for countless big names, uh, past and present. Big time in the Jersey scene. One of Henzo Gracie's first black belts, currently fourth degree black belt and owner operator of the highly successful series of gyms, Silver Fox BJJ. You know him, you love him. So please give a warm welcome to Mr. Carell, Silver Fox, Prevec. <laughs> Silver Fox, you're here. Thank you so up, much. Guys? How you doing? How you doing, Carl? Nice to see you, buddy. I'm doing great. I heard the intro. I'm almost embarrassed. <laughs> uh, no, wait, wait. I mean, what else are we gonna say? You're the Silver Fox, man. Like that's, that's you got one. You, you cornered the market on one of the coolest nicknames ever. You know, like that's the, come on. <laughs> that's, I appreciate it. That was nature at work, so I can't take all the credit. <laughs> you're, now, you're, you're, you're now, one of Fox, my favorite you, dude to talk to too, but you're an awesome dude. I tell you, this guy every every couple of months or so, I get a package with another shirt or another hoodie from him. I got the blue. I got more Silver Fox gear than I have like my my own gym's gear. So it's awesome. Thank you very much for everything, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure, man. I uh, will. Okay, so Fox, we're gonna get into a, all all sorts of te highly technical questions. Okay, you know, we 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 you're one of the best minds in the game. But before we do, anytime uh, we have anyone from the Garden State on, you know, I'm from Livingston, I uh, my family's from West Orange, so I gotta ask you a few Jersey questions, and I know I, I hope you don't mind if we diverge uh -huh. for Go a ahead. little bit. Go ahead. All right, Spring, Springsteen or Jovi? Uh, probably Springsteen. <laughs> probably okay, Springsteen. that's a good – see, we're right right off the bat. You just hit a hole in one, you know, so you're going to do good here. <laughs> I got I to gotta know, is it is it Taylor Ham or Pork Roll? Taylor Ham. That's easy. Oh, my <laughs> God. Thank you. You're the first guy that's gotten it right. And every well, time I keep we're thinking – We're up north. <laughs> we're up north. Yeah, my my, fam, my family's a pork roll. I'm yeah. I'm, my, I'm not from Jersey, but my family's from Trenton, and it's a it's a okay. It's a pork, yeah, it's, it's pork basically roll supposed to be. At my understanding, it's the South versus North. So right, right. You know, which that's, what I was not aware of. There's actually quite a bit of conflict between the South and the North in Jersey. That's a big <laughs> thing, and that's for being such a small state. Like, like it's kind of a divisions, the lines of division. I know it takes two hours <laughs> to drive north to South. Right, exactly. Exactly. Or are you going was... pork roll versus Taylor Ham? <laughs> There was this one year I worked at like a, a like down down on the Jersey Shore. I worked at like this five and dime shop, and for some reason that summer, I, every person that would come up to my register was wearing Phillies gear, and they would just like say stupid things about their sports teams. And I had to just keep <laughs> it under lock. Like, okay, let's just uh, all right. Well, I, I Fox, we we. We've moved on from the Jersey portion. Thank you okay. for indulging me. But I think a lot of us are really interested in learning how the gym, how your gym is doing, like as COVID is kind of winding down and we're starting to get more vaccinations. How have you guys weathered the storm for the past year? And, you know, like any insights you can share? Because I know it hit the tri-state area pretty hard. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's everybody's been impacted in a big way. 
Uh, it, it's funny because I've literally been pretty much from the very beginning. I've been kind of right in the middle of things. Uh, I don't, I didn't, you know, I actually closed the school um, on my own before the state mandated because, uh, you know, things start to spread very, very quickly. I thought, you know, literally thought maybe we just kind of slow it down to a point where allow the healthcare systems to catch up and, you know, that, you know, hopefully reopen in two, two to four weeks. And uh, I was doing prior to that, I do have a, a monthly, um, basically interactive uh, video, uh, YouTube video. It's, it's live. So people have a question, you know, they can ask questions about any technique they have a problem with. And we troubleshoot it for them live on YouTube. And um, I was doing it monthly. And basically, I said, you know what, when we close, let's do it daily. Because by then, uh, a lot of places around the world were already shut down, like Italy in particular, you know, and I have a lot of friends in Europe and, and, and people that I've done seminars and students and so forth. So I said, let's go to daily. And I expected to do about, you know, three or four weeks max. And literally within, you know, two or three weeks, you know, me and Enrique, I don't know if, uh, you know, he's one of my high-level black belts and Mike, uh, we start to train, we were training afterwards and we're the only guys in the, in the school. And after like about two weeks of doing this, we're like, I said, guys, we're going to have to slow this down because we're going to break. And I said, I think we might have to do this a lot longer than we expected. So we wound up doing 99 consecutive days. And I literally didn't break the day after. And I, I stopped at 99 for a reason because I thought it would – I'm OCD and I thought it would drive all the OCD guys nuts because we didn't get to episode <laughs> 100. And uh, I didn't want to have a closure. I wanted to kind of just kind of – this is just – uh, but I literally broke a day after the last day of filming. Like I literally couldn't get out of bed. And um, that was sort of my, my therapy to, to provide that to, to people that could not train. And we literally had a global audience. The only um, continent that was not represented was Antarctica. Although we had a Serbian guy who threatened to volunteer to go indoctrinate the penguins there. <laughs> but... <laughs> But uh, it was challenging, you know, any school, they, you know, people took hits, you know, uh, anywhere on the order of 30 to 80, 90 percent to their to their cash flow. And, you know, there is no exceptions. And basically, my strategy has been uh, it's, it's a battle for survival right now. And, you know, we have to survive. I will thrive again right now. My I have two top priorities. I want to provide jujitsu to my students on a daily basis, but I also want to keep them safe. So right now, that's what I'm focusing on. All my energies basically going to that, uh, you know, keeping, keeping protocols uh, that I think are keeping my students relatively safe. Because I think if you look, there's some people that just kind of like, this is, you know, stay home, lock the doors, you know, put on a mask, even if you're by yourself and just crawl under the covers. And then you got the other, you know, end of the spectrum. This is a hoax and I don't care. Right. I'm squarely in the middle of it. And I think my students appreciate the fact that I am trying to keep them safe because I do know for a fact that there's a good percentage of my students that are back are back because they believe that I'm doing, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but it's, it's, I, I try to keep it in a prudent sort of like use your judgment, you know, uh, sort of thing. Yeah, so I, it's, it's been challenging, but, you know, I think we'll manage and, you know, we'll once, once things get better and I believe that we'll see, we're, we're starting to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully in the spring that, you know, we will thrive. You know, I, I, I commend you for a couple of different reasons, obviously, because, you know, in your struggle, you know, you're, 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 there's, there's, you know, there's selfish intent to your, to your, um, your, your online presence, but there's also an altruistic intent to that. And I'll explain that in this terms. And obviously, you know, you're struggling to keep your own business afloat and you're doing whatever you can do to keep your, 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 your students uh, engaged in jujitsu. So whereupon, when there's an opportunity for them to come back, they haven't forgot about jujitsu. They still kind of have the bug kicking around in them. But by providing the service internationally, like you have been doing, and by keeping the content out there, you're keeping the jujitsu game relevant on an international spectrum and a broader spectrum that revolves around more than yourself. So it's important for you guys, you know, for, for guys like Seth Daniels to be cranking out shows, for guys like Ryan Ryan uh, McGuire to be cranking out shows with Third Coast, to keep things happening so that people are at least still interested in jujitsu. There's still some kind of a buzz out there for jujitsu to as an opportunity for people to start to see 
the sport and, and, and engage and things like that. So I commend you for that. And, and, and I, and I appreciate you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. More, more, more kind words for, for uh, Mr. Starbucks. <laughs> I love this guy. So one of my favorites, one of my favorites dude. so you, you, but you, you have been uh pretty, pretty prevalent in the, uh, YouTube world, uh, uh, Insta- internet world, Prior to COVID, you 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 you've been doing you you put your stuff out for for quite some time now, right? Yeah, I you know it's it's kind of funny because I never really paid attention to it. I've what I've done is I, I have a YouTube channel and I really never paid attention to it. Every once or twice, uh, you know, um, uh, every week or every other week, we'd put out a short video, two minutes or so. But I've been doing sort of YouTube videos with Faraz Zahabi from he's got a TriStar Gym channel and. Uh, that's, you know, that's why I reserve sort of the longer, uh, longer instructionals that I would try to feed um, their, their channel with, with content. And people seem to enjoy the interaction between Firas and I. And, you know, like the videos, any, almost anything we put out, it'll probably hit between 50,000 and 400,000 views. And uh, I really didn't pay attention to my YouTube channel. To be honest with you, I wasn't intending on it. People were saying, you got to do... And I was like, you know what? I'm 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 busy. I got my, you know, I'll get to it in three to five years. And um, I, we were starting to get questions from people, you know, around the world. And I realized that not every country has access to the same level of jujitsu instruction that we have in the U.S. or Brazil or you know the countries where you know where jujitsu has been around for 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 a long time. And uh, I, it, it literally my right hand man frank cam was saying you know you should do something you should do a podcast i, I don't i don't want to do podcasts so <laughs> i'm driving every <laughs> asshole's got a podcast now so we're fine yeah come on. they just hand them out to anybody with a blue belt no i was <laughs> gonna say that, you get a podcast i was gonna say that there are guys better that at it than i am so i said you know but i'm driving i was doing some seminars in germany and holland i'm talking to this guy it, from India on messenger. And I, we keep dropping him. I was like, you know, shit, I got to do better than this. So I said, all right. So I decided to do first Friday of every month. I started to do the monthly. And that's when I started to, you know, actually kind of make, you know, create sort of my own spin on things. So I love troubleshoot people's jujitsu problems. It's, it's, that's my favorite thing about jujitsu. You know, okay, you have this problem. Show me here's here's my answer to that and that was the the sort of the the content we did and we did like nine monthly shows and then we did into daily it was fun because we actually started getting some people that don't train jujitsu to watch it because we always try to have fun with it too it's not just like here's here's a technical you know uh problem solving it's you know we'd have fun we always try to do a little skit at one I believe it's episode 19. I accidentally put my uke out. You know, the guy didn't tap. I thought he was just trying to make it real. <laughs> That's great. That's <laughs> so it was great. live, you know, and it's it's live. So it's it is what it is. So um, it, it like I said, it wound up being a lot of fun for me. So now we're back to monthly, and then when when the channel gets 10,000 subscribers, we're pretty close. I I promised people I'd go back. I'd go to weekly from yeah. monthly. That's cool, man. That's cool. I I actually real quick. I before we started this episode, I actually sat down and watched your your Omoplata breakdown video that you did with Faraz. And I got to say, you guys definitely seem to have really good chemistry on like on camera, and you're, you're both very good at explaining things. What's it What's it like working with him as in a teaching setting? It's it's effortless for me. It's literally here's how it goes. I go up there, you know. And, you know, I, he and I will sit down and say, like, what do you want to talk about? I said, you have something in mind? He says, well, if, if people ask about this, we'll cover that. Or if I say, how about this? We cover that. And it's literally, we get the guys filmed. There's at this point, there's pretty much zero editing. Um, and uh, it's, it's because we both love jujitsu and martial arts that it's, it's easy that we just kind of banter back and forth. Uh, you know, we talk about issues and, you know, what people can can do and you know how things should be structured and we try to aim to have you know between half an hour to an hour of of content it, it to me like literally we'll we'll shoot for an for an hour and we'll look at the clock it's an hour's gone by we think it was 10 minutes that's how it is you know so it's it's a lot of fun you know i i can't wait to go back up there you know after covid uh, travel restrictions are eased but it's 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 a lot of fun it's very it's it's, it's for me it's like it's like 
I, I would, I love doing that. You know, and yeah, I, you can I, tell he does too. I got to meet uh, Faraz um, once down in Tampa. He actually came to Matt's gym, Matt Arroyo's gym, the gym that I train at, and um, he filmed it. Filmed a commercial for his Tom uh, Tom Tam Tam. His Tim little Tam, uh, yeah, Tim yeah, Tam. Tam, Tam yeah. Right. Uh, I guess talk to him for a few minutes. He's actually he's a super cool guy, super he humble, is. very smart, very intelligent, very yeah. very. You can tell other world like other. Uh, not just intelligent from a from a mindset of fighting and mixed martial arts, but just has a very cultured perspective on things. Just a very highly intelligent person, and that shows through his you know advanced yeah. knowledge of uh, fighting. I don't think there's too many people in the world alive today right now that have a better, full, complete understanding of the fight game that Faraz Abi has. It's very impressive to see that. Yeah, no, he's one of my favorite guys in in the world of martial arts. He, he you know, and he cares about the fighters. None of them are assholes, which, you know, uh, you don't, there, there's no prima donnas. It's, 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 it's like, to me, it's one of the best, you know, um, best uh, sort of, and I hate to use this word, gym. Uh, I, I refer to my school as academies, you know, slash right. uh, school, but you know, it is a truly a, a very, very good uh, MMA gym. He's, he's got amazing jujitsu and amazing other aspects of, of the whole game wrestling and, and striking yeah, as well. His mind of the totality of, of MMA is just, it's, it's astonishing just to hear the way he talks yeah. and his ease. I always say this about guys that people that have an advanced understanding of a situation is their, their ability to take seemingly complicated terms and make them simple and break them down so that other people can understand what their complicated mindsets to be able to find those big pieces and make them smaller so people can understand them. Yeah. So did did you did is Faraz uh, a Hinzo black belt as well? Did he train under Hinzo? Well, I, I, he I got his black belt from John, from John. Right? Yeah, but you know Faraz and and George used to come down to to the city. You know Faraz's brother Eamon, who's also a, 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 an amazing fighter in his own right. Uh, you know, uh, you know guys like. Uh, Oliver Taza and, and uh, you know, um, Ethan, Ethan Krellenston, they, they originally come from TriStar Gym. You know, they come on a regular basis to Henzo's train, you know, so, so the younger guys, they stay for weeks, weeks. And, uh, you know, the uh, Faraz and George would come in and they go, you know, back in the day, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, they would come in for a few days, train and go back to TriStar. Yeah. So. So that's so that's so it's sort of an extended family. Yeah, I would I would consider it extended family. So where that's sure. where obviously where you made you 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 yourself are a Hinzo black belt. That's where you made the connection with with yeah. Ross. It's interesting. It, it leads me to another to like train of thought of how you know back in those days in the early days of jiu-jitsu, that was very common for people to do that because it just wasn't. We didn't live in the world of a black belt on every corner, and there probably wasn't yeah. too many jujitsu practitioners in uh, in Montreal at the time where TriStyle is. So to have for us come down. Spend a few, t- spend a little time in New York, train a little bit, then go back and take what he learned and 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 and, and build upon that. That was quite common during those early stages yeah. of the jujitsu game to, to do that a lot. My our head instructor Rob Khan did the same thing when he when he when he trained under uh, under Hoist. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about those times because one of the reasons, like I've had you, I'm cheating here a little bit because I've had you on a few different <laughs> podcasts before. I've had a few different conversations with you before, but like one of the things that hey, I always hey, hey, not all of us are best <laughs> friends with Silver Fox. All right, so this is a big deal for some of us. Okay, Kev. <laughs> People like me for some unknown reason, Kevin. I don't really get it either. I don't understand. I don't think I'm that nice of a guy. For some reason, people people love people love the people love to love me for some reason. But, uh, the 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 thing that I enjoy talking to you the most about is is some of those old school discussions about yeah. coming up in that era before MMA and jujitsu or before jujitsu was really what we live in today the beautiful world of jujitsu today the nice friendly world welcoming community <laughs> where, come on in bring your kids bring your family we're gonna we're gonna come on and learn the learn the art and and spend a good old time like. Yeah. Back in your early days, it was quite a different environment. Tell, tell yeah. us a little bit about how it was like when you first of all tell us like when you started training and all those things like that, so people got a firmer reference. And tell us a little bit about what the, like like that, that environment was like back then. Um, yeah, it was it was very interesting. I first got exposed to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in 1991 when uh, you know Horian and Hickson and Helio and um, Hoyce and um, Hoyler and you know all those guys. They did a seminar, like a weekend long seminar in. Um, Parsippany, Sheraton Tara. Kevin, if you know where that is, right? Parsippany, Parsippany on, on, on Route 80. 
Schenectady, uh, Parsippany, all those weird New York, <laughs> up, upstate New York names. <laughs> so, so um, you know, they did a seminar, and that's when I got first exposed to it. And, you know, we started, you know, training, incorporating. To my, I was doing stand-up uh, training and started incorporating whatever we remember. But I, we didn't start regular classes till 1993. Uh, because I think Kukog moved to New Jersey in 93, beginning of 93, and it started regular classes. But back then, like everybody trained once a week, I, you know. And Henzo uh, did uh, tapes with, with Kukog, and Henzo started coming up from Brazil. VHS, VHS tapes for those of you youngsters <laughs> out there that even, even understand what that is before you had your, your magic, magic machine that played everything at the press of your finger. You actually had to take a tape and put it in a, in a television. Yeah, it was pretty big too. I, I'm tr- actually trying to think what VHS stood for, I, I, but never, I was, never I was more of a laser disc guy myself. <laughs> that's, being honest. that's, uh, that's, I think years and years later. Right. Uh, Bam, and then, uh, <laughs> They, uh, you know, so we, uh, you know, Henzo then would start, you know, teach privates, you know, would teach classes for a month or two and then go back to Brazil. And I think 94, 95, he moved to New York, New Jersey area permanently. And I've been with him ever since. But, uh, you know, back then it was, it was very, um, not quite sure what the word is, but, you know, it's sort of doggy dog world. And, you know, it was very tough because people would, you know, when people wanted to try jujitsu, they would literally wanted to see how they could do against you. You know, and I've had that, uh, you know, with with people, you know, you'd, we'd be training because at that time we could maybe train once or twice a week. So you'd be training guys, basements and beat the piss out of each other. You know, I, I remember I was training with this one guy. And we're, it was in a YMCA on the gymnastics floor. The, the guy tried to like literally kick me in the head. Soccer kicked me in the head. So when I armbarred him, I, I made him scream. Everybody else that was on that floor started to laugh. And then the, the guy just, you know, as soon as he I let him go. He just sort of ran off and uh, he's thrown up along the way. And that was not necessarily, it's not like the unusual thing. You know, people would, that would happen. <laughs> this is a really bad story. I don't think I'm going to mention name because the guys have highly respected, you know, sort of guru in the martial arts, you know, kind of uh, some poor guy. He was training with one of the guys that was training for a while. And I think the other guy had like a really filthy gi and stuck, you know, he was like teabagging him and the guy throws up. And then the guy, this other guy hands him a bucket to clean up after himself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because we had, we talked to Robert Dreisler before about some things like that. And that was actually part of the, like the smellier and stinkier your gi on was actually part of your, your, your offensive set. Like you would, you would wear a stinky gi because you used it as a tool for your jujitsu. It was part of what you did back then. I don't believe One in day. my, <laughs> I don't believe in my gi to, to protect me against, uh, I, I, I want it to be me, not the gi. Right. Exactly. I, you, you know, for, for, for a fact that if any urban is attack as a gi, you smell it's just a matter of time. <laughs> I, I actually train with one of my black belts today and I, I actually purposefully wear a loose gi because I have some of the geese like some of the manufacturers they make them short so you can't really play lapel guard and stuff but I purposefully wear like a, a gi with long lapels I'm like listen if if, if I'm depending on my gi to, 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 to defend myself I think I'm, I'm failing in my game so I here take take the lapels take whatever you need because I'm going to try to make sure that I like I like a little I like a little bit longer gear myself too. I'm more <laughs> I, I just wet. I'm kind of a tweener. I'm not really an A three. I'm like I'm too 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 small for an A three and too big for an A two. So I kind of wear that A three anyway, just because it fits my shoulders. But it made the the sleeves are super long and the pants half fall off me. But I've done that forever, and everyone's like, "You should get a short. You should get an A two long." I'm like, "Nah, I just dig this. I get used to wearing yeah. this, and now now the tight ones make me feel weird. I can't roll in that anymore." So, based upon that aspect would it would it be right to say like you know back in those days simply because you didn't have instructors around to to watch you as much like it was a lot more sparring in terms of drilling like the drilling and the techniques were very very the technique sessions were very limited it was all about hey let's just figure out what we can do and try to make these things work yeah yeah it was much more limited you know obviously once henzo came and started you know once he took over the school and 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 it became a more formalized classes, it, it it got a lot better. But but you know pre- previously guys would like the black belt would say like, uh, do you have a problem? He's like, oh uh, yeah, take a private. Yeah, right. What the hell is like you know what the hell is that? Um, or don't get into it. That's to me that's a right. BS answer. You know, don't get into it. 
Um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, now there's so many other tools that are available. It's, you know, you got online tools, you got free, free stuff all over YouTube, pretty much from anybody that's, you know, uh, from, you know, world-class teachers to more local teachers. Um, you have paid content, you have free content. So now it's just stuff is available. And, and I, I think to some extent, I think people get overwhelmed. And if I can just throw in advice and I keep telling people this is, you know, find out first, find out what you want to work on. You know, what is it that you want to work on? Is your you brand new white belt? You want to primarily work on work your defense? You want to work on sort of fundamentals? Uh, if you're more advanced, um, you know, practitioner, you might, you're probably going to be working on things that are ancillary to your game. Find out what you want to work on and then figure out whose teacher's methods resonate with you because that's, you're going to have the best success with that because sometimes people, you can, you can have an amazing teacher, but it just, the way he, they explain things doesn't, doesn't make sense to you or does you know, it's just doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't penetrate, you know? So, uh, um, that's, that's the thing. That's the advice I would, I would tell people is if you're going to look for videos, which is, I think it's a, it's a great addition to your, to your training methods, you know, try to pay attention to one, what are you work trying to work on and then get a teacher that you think you're going to have the best success with as far as absorbing their, their methods. Okay. Well, that makes me really curious just because we've had, we've been really fortunate to have a lot of great coaches come on the show and and give their different methodologies and and ways they attack certain problems. And, you know, you're one of the best coaches in the world. Let's not sugarcoat it. So I would Uh, love to know, say you've got day one white belt, average um, level of fitness, you know, like they don't need to work off pounds maybe they need to build up some strength but say like from a technique standpoint what's one of the first things you love going into i uh you know when the relatively new guys basically we teach takedowns in every class so you should you know pretty much from the very from day one but generally speaking in fundamental classes i teach bottom work and i believe that's you know because chances are once you start sparring and you start even if if you you know, medium level athletic, you're probably going to be on the bottom. So you need to know your way out. How do you transition to the top? Uh, the, the bigger the guys are, the more I encourage them to, to work their bottom game. Because I think if you have a good bottom game, whether it's guard, you know, escaping bottom, side control, escaping bottom, uh, the more, you know, um, sort of aggressive. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you're going to take chances from the top because you're confident in your bottom game. So I would basically focus on, on, on guard work. How do you t- get your grips? How do you tie up? How do you get your grips? How do you break the posture of the guy in the guard? And how do you attack from there to get a sweep, sweep of submission? That's sort of some of the fundamentals that I would focus on with, with people from the beginning. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you in that regard. And, and one, of the, one of the things I'll add to that is the fact that, like, you know, two guys start in a gym, one guy's going to be bigger, stronger, more athletic, and one guy's not. You know, and it's just the way it happens. Yeah. There's dudes that have wrestled before, dudes that played football, have an advanced competitive background. Like, they're going to figure out a way to play on, you know, to to, to be aggressive and, and to, to, to win certain scenarios. And the guys that are more aggressive, they're going to tend to play on top anyway. So that's, yeah. you don't have to teach them much of that. They're going to figure out their own way. And, like, you can show them little plays. But throughout the course of their jiu-jitsu, they're going to have to learn how to play on the bottom anyway. So if you start from the beginning, because eventually people that play from the bottom are, you know, are going to end up sweeping them, are going to end up in bad positions. And like even though that person doesn't want to be there, and more than likely they're going to try to stay on top, they need to learn those situations from the get-go. And then if you look at the other side, the guy who's less athletic and less inclined, he's going to end up on his back anyway. He ain't going to have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So learning to defend <laughs> and learn how to work your guard tends to make both people better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love that, man. I, I love that concept. So tell me a little bit about what it was like coming up in that Henzo gym and being around the immense amount of jiu-jitsu talent that you have been accustomed to to coexist with since the beginning days of jiu-jitsu. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I think at that time, because, you know, this is a time when before, you know, I don't want to say before television, but it was a time before, you know, Facebook, before social media, before there was so much information so quickly available where you didn't necessarily quite realize how good you have it. You know what I'm saying? That you have all these. And I'm not a fan of the word talent. I, I, I believe that almost everybody that's at the top of the heap, 
is 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 hard work. It's you know they may be talented, but they may not necessarily be fully talented. But they still make it to the top of the heap through hard work. And you know it's it's funny because you, you know a lot of the guys, a lot of the top of the food chain guys that became you know ADCC world champions that became um, you know with UFC champions. I mean, think about the 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 guys within the Hensel family, you know that have. Uh, you know, uh, been UFC world champion, you know, uh, you know, I, I think uh, George would probably consider himself with Feroz in the extended Henzo family. You got Matt Sarah, you got Chris Weidman, you know, you got uh, Frankie Edgar. Uh, Alameda. You, you know, yeah. You know, and, and it's just, it's just an amazing tribe. And uh, to, you know, to be part of that, it, it, it was amazing. But, you know, at the time you, I didn't realize like how good we had it because, you know, to me it was normal, but, you know, then, then you realize then the outside world did, did not necessarily have this. And, you know, now, you know, then there was a time when it was sort of, well, you start to realize what you have, but also now it's starting to spread out now. Now I think because of YouTube and, and, and again, I, I don't want to overemphasize YouTube. I, I think that nothing beats a real teacher that cares, but uh, YouTube can be a really good good, good factor when you don't have access to the latest technology or the, the necessarily the highest level training partners or coaches. So it could be a very, very good addition to, to your tra- training methods. Um, but it's, it's, you know, the, all those, and all those guys at the top of the food chain, they're all super nice guys. You know, that's, that's the amazing part. And, you know, periodically we get some guy that's, you know, be built like a, you know, brick shit house and come in and, you know, I'm an MMA fighter and I'm three and two and, you know, you could see, see the guy was an asshole and like literally, you know, a blue belt would, I, I remember to this day, this guy was uh, coming in and, you know, he was, he was bad training partner. And one time he had a, a, like a outright, you know, you could, you could call it fight for, for all intents and purposes with a blue belt. And it was like, literally like two cat, like fur flying everything. And <laughs> the blue belt, you know, basically it was even. And a guy never took another group class again. You think yeah. that guy's going to be a UFC world champion? You think he's going to be even a regional champion, you know, uh, in MMA? No. Yeah, you, you can't you know? push yourself like that. No. What? So here's a here's a, a follow up to that, and and what what this is maybe a little bit, a bit of a silly question. This is something I'm just curious about because I I agree with you. Like I and I see that firsthand because you know I travel quite a bit. I go to other gyms and I yeah. see. You know, sometimes you go to a gym, there's three, four guys on a mat. The guys only, you know, the gym's only got, you know, they don't care about building their gym or maybe they don't, they're not aware of the the means to be able to make their gym prosperous and successful, but they're, or they're content with just having 30 students. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you go to a mat and there's maybe six guys on the mat, you know, a couple blue belts, maybe a purple belt here and there, and then the black belt instructor. Now, when, when you come to, to match gym, you know, Matt Arroyo's gym, Grace Camp South, I mean, we've yeah. got 50 guys on the mat training uh, sometimes. I saw, you know, and, you know, I, I was there. 20 black belts underneath them now at this point. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, UFC fighters around the corner, tons of, tons of you know, strong, you know, uh, professional MMA fighters. So what I see a lot is guys that I know that are blue belts, purple belts, just accept that for the way it is. And then they go other places and they move away for a little bit and then they come back and they're like, God, you guys don't realize like, how could you have it here? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, the, the question I'm asking for you is like, do you believe um, that the, the skill level, the size of the gym, the competitive nature of your academy necessarily, how, what, how much of an effect does that have on someone's ability to climb the ladder of jiu-jitsu and become successful into that next level? I think uh, it's important to have a good coach. You know, um, it doesn't have to be a world, world beater, but a good coach is, is a must because I think – they're the ones that initially established the atmosphere of the academy. And, you know, that's extremely important because, you know, if you have a couple of selfish assholes, that academy is never going to amount to anything. You know, and one of them may achieve sort of mid-level success, but it's, 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 you know, you need to have that sort of, you know, it's an individual sport, but you need that team effort to, to, to get the, get the people to a certain level, because, you know, even guys that just don't have, you know, the skill or the, the athleticism to hang with the top dogs, 
you know, they sacrifice their bodies just as well because, you know, that's where the guy practices, trains there, there, there. And, and, and the top dogs need to, need to understand that and appreciate that, you know? And I think the, the, that's the second element to, to have a successful school or successful team is to have a good, good coach, but also have good teammates that kind of help you figure out your problems and help you work through the problems and continue to, to climb that sort of, you know, it's the skill, skill acquisition ladder. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny you bring that up about the, something that I think about a lot. The atmosphere of the gym is contingent upon the individual instructor that teaches the gym. Cause I talked about this the other day with one of my friends, my black belt instructors that owns a gym in the same general area. And like, you know, we're all under Rob Kahn, who is yep. our, our main instructor. Right? You probably know Rob. Everybody oh yeah. Rob, right. So, you know, we've got Matt Arroyo, who's one of Rob's black belts. We've got Bamboo, who's another one of Rob's black belts. We've got Sonny Parlin, who's another one of Rob's black belts. You know, myself, one of Rob's black belts. Like, all of those guys have their own individual academies. And it's always interesting to me that even though every single one of them trained under Rob Kahn, like, when you go to each individual academy, you notice that, yes, whereupon there are still fundamental similarities to the style of jiu-jitsu they teach to the way they're able to show their moves. But each gym tends to have their own tendencies. You know, their own. So a lot of guys, like, say, Bamboo's guys play a lot of X guard. Uh, you know, Sonny's guys play a lot of deep half guard. You know, Matt's guys play a lot of butterfly guard or closed guard. And so the the point is, and the, one of the beautiful things about jiu-jitsu is when you talked about the atmosphere, and, and again, that atmosphere means a whole lot more than just the techniques. It means the way you run this gym, the wins, the competitive nature. You know, if it's a laissez-faire kind of laid back kind of school, we're just like, hey, we're going to grind this thing, tie your belts and bow to the instructor type atmosphere. Um, but even in terms of a technical concept, like the techniques, like jiu-jitsu grows in accordance to what each individual practitioner starts to grow and it becomes that organic whereupon now, like I got my black belt from Matt Arroyo, but like, you know, some of the things I do are very similar to Matt, but I do things that are completely different from Matt's freaking jujitsu. Like I do yeah. shit that Matt would never even think about doing. Tell us a little bit about that organic nature of jujitsu and your, in your con and your, your mindset, what you think about that, how it grows in those accords. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a very good point. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny because, um, you know, as, as guys sit up, uh, you know, open up their own schools, uh, you know, some of my black belts, um, they, when people come to my, to my academy from, you know, from whatever we, we get visitors, even though we're sort of in the suburbs of New Jersey, which is not that easy to get out of the, you know, from the city, you got to take a bus or switch over, but from over the world, all over the world. And when, when they come in, um, the one thing is when they go with my different black belts, they, every one of them has a slightly different game, but when they walk off the mat, they come to me and say, yeah, I could tell these were your students right. just because, and I, I believe what it is, is, and, and this, this, I believe is one of the marks of, of, of Henzo Gracie tribe is it's a fairly aggressive. And I don't mean aggressive, like, you know, I'm going to kick your ass. No, I don't mean like that, but it's basically, we don't stall. We go after, we, we take risks and we like submissions. We may choose different, different methods or different, setups to get there but that style is is very pronounced that you're gonna have you know like you said many different games but you're gonna have a big overarching style which is sort of like aggressive don't stall get you know get your submission you know let's get this finished quickly and i think that's one of the reasons why the henzo you know the henzo style of jiu-jitsu is so so well suited to mma too yeah, it's funny. Uh, not, not not to talk about Rob Kahn again, but I love the guy. We'll talk him. Eventually, we'll get him on the podcast, and you can lock his crazy ass down. I'm gonna have to freaking commit to something. We'll go fishing for him. We'll, yeah, we'll, right. we'll, get, him, we'll get him on eventually. But he talked a lot it, along those same uh, lines. It's pretty interesting. He talked a lot about his first competition because again, he's old school. He started training in the early '90s with uh, with with Hoist, and he talked a lot about like you know before those periods. Like people don't realize there really wasn't what we consider to be a jujitsu uh, competition scene rule set before, you know, 1993 or nine, I think 96 yeah. or 93. So one of the, one of the areas I can't remember what it was. That's when the actual competition team or competition rule set, as far as passing the guard, maintaining points for three, you know, three points for guard pass. I mean, like, so let's, so let's just think, think about this for a second. It, really think about this. 
in the night, like in 99, let's just say 99, like both of you guys, best guest, how many qualified referees do you think wow. there would be in America? Uh, a handful. Like to, could, yeah, a handful. They'd have <laughs> to go, they'd have to ship them from yeah. different states in order to have tournaments. Just well, like, there wasn't just, really, there wasn't really even an understanding of what a competitive match rule set was. Yeah. So they were like learning yeah. it on the fly almost as they went along. So the, the point to that contention to talk about the aggressive nature of jiu-jitsu from some of the old school Brazilians, because Hoist, I mean, because Rob trained under Hoist, he talked about how the idea of he went to his first competition, someone's passed his guard and just held him there. And he was just floored by that concept. Like he didn't understand, like, like, what is this about? Why would this person just hold me here? Why is he not advancing to go for a submission? Because that's you know, before that first competition he went into, that was there was no idea of passing the guard for three points. You pass the guard so you could advance the position to take the mount and start looking for attack because the submission was the only goal of those early stages of jiu-jitsu, this old Brazilian yeah. uh, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu um, you know, competitors, right, or jiu-jitsu um, yeah. Yeah. instructors. Well, I remember back in the early days, it's probably 95, but, you know, basically – uh, we, you know, we had, when you were training your guard, the guy on the bottom would get a headgear and the guy on top would get uh, no hold, no holds barred. That's what MMA used to call be called back then, Valetudo or no holds barred. The guy on top get get gloves. The guy on the bottom get headgear. Your guard is going to get very good very quickly because if you <laughs> don't, right. it's like literally your head is like bouncing like a basketball on the mat yeah. as you get punched in the head repeatedly. And it's not fun even with the headgear. It doesn't matter. Personally, I hate the headgear. I'd rather see it coming than... And with the headgear, the concussive effect, I believe, is even worse. Can you get better at jiu-jitsu from a martial arts self? <laughs> no, from a martial arts self-defense uh, perspective, without throwing strikes. Uh, absolutely, I, I think here's the reality: like people, you know, they, this is a debate all the time. How people, you know, talk about. You know, I teach, you know, the street jiu-jitsu, the, the self-defense jiu-jitsu. And what you see, yeah, I got to be honest with you. If I'm in, in, in Nogi Pan Am's, Nogi World's final, I see two, guy, two guys double guard pull. If I saw that back in 91, 90, 93, I may not have been doing jiu-jitsu. I may not be doing jiu-jitsu now because I'd be like, what the hell is this? But here's the reality. Do you think that a guy, it's usually a higher two-level black belts that are highly highly, you know, skilled and they're basically trying to eke out a small advantage because the, the guy that winds up at the top when the clock is, is done, you know, is going to be six, four ahead because he got three sweeps versus to the other guy too. Do you think that guy doesn't know how to double, double leg somebody, take him down and put him away? Do you think that guy has never been elbowed in the head in, in training of jiu-jitsu or kicked in the head? I, I, I believe that, that people sort of dream that they, that these high level, you know, sports jiu-jitsu guys don't know how to defend themselves. I, I think, you know, a, a perfect example is Ryan Hall. He's an amazing MMA fighter to me. I, I actually, he's one of my favorite jiu-jitsu guys out there too. I believe for what he's accomplished, he's still underrated. Um, but, you know, the guy was a submission machine, you know, back when he used to compete in, 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 in grappling tournaments. He was doing leg locks before leg locks. Yeah, uh, triangles. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, he was well known to pull guard, but, and, you know, there was an altercation. It's, it's on YouTube, you know, in, in some restaurant, he just double legged the guy, took him down. Right. You know, so, so I, I think um, it's good in, in, in training jujitsu to be aware of the strikes, where they're coming in from, and how are you going to dispatch them and how are you going to deal with them in a fairly quick manner because you can't take too many blows to the head. But I also think that if you have a high level, sports jiu-jitsu guy that's never 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 fought never been punched in the head so you take a good purple good brown belt going against a decent uh decent boxer he's going to dispatch the boxer quickly in a quick altercation unless he gets you know if he gets sucker punched yeah but if if once you clinch it's it's all over i always say that too like the reality of self-defense jiu-jitsu versus high level competitive jiu-jitsu you know your 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 the number of branches you have to go off of you know yeah. 
self-defense jujitsu is three or four things. That's all you need. You need to you need to get a guy to the ground. You need to take a side control position. You need to get him out. You need to know a pretty good sweep. You got to be able to get back up just in case you got a bigger guy on top of you. But like the reality of it is, is you're not going to have to go far down that Venn diagram of techniques to be able to defend yourself against an untrained individual. You you we create these advanced scenarios simply because when me and you roll, we have to get we have to entertain ourselves. You know, I have to figure out advanced creative ways to outclass you in the same way to you to try to beat you because you know what I'm doing. So that's where yeah. these advanced apparatuses come from. Exactly. So I got another one for you. This is a good one. Can you get good at self-defense martial arts aspects of jiu-jitsu without training takedowns on the regular? Oh no, we lost him. That was a great question. <laughs> no, I'm, Go I'm, ahead. I'm back. Start, start, I'm back. Start over. Uh, we'll, edit, we'll edit that in there. Start over again. Yeah. So um, I um, I believe you need to tra- uh, train takedowns. You may not necessarily be amazing with takedowns, uh, but there's such a thing as is if you get taken taken down on your terms. So if if you go you, again, if you go against if you go into an altercation and and i think that all, let me throw in just one other one to the previous question the real question would be if you took a a, a self-defense jiu-jitsu purple belt versus a competitor purple belt who do you think would win in a physical altercation i my my vote would probably be with the athlete I think so too. And I, I think yeah. that's, I so, think we can run that. We can run that experiment a hundred times and it's going to yeah. be, it's going to be high nineties. That, 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 yeah. The so I, I, again, I, but no, now let me ask, uh, yeah. try to answer that, that. The second question, I, I believe you need to train takedowns. I, you have to tra- train takedowns. I do believe that it's, it's good for, for a jujitsu practitioner. Uh, you know, my school, we have three MMA kickboxing classes. And basically it's just at least people need to get at least, rudimentary understanding of controlling the distance, uh, you know, being able to clinch even against a better striker. And uh, if you, if you go in against somebody that's better at takedowns, that's okay. Now you're going to be training, make sure that you get taken down on your terms. There's a huge yeah. value in that. You know, I've, I've learned that for many, many years, you can have a very, 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 very high level wrestler division one, he comes in with, you know, for a single leg with the head on the outside, you know, as long as I can give team, I'm okay. I'm okay being taken down. Um, same thing is, is um, but you also need to practice takedowns in case you're going against a, a guy that may not have any grappling, may not have any takedowns, but has striking. You need to clean, uh, control the distance, clinch, take him down. Yeah. So clinch is as the essential element in that because like you know we 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 every i always talk about this we do the sport of jujitsu to get better at the martial art of jujitsu like the sporting elements we've created a sport that is called jujitsu so we understand the rules of engagement we run the different we understand the different strategical approaches to continue to do jujitsu that way we can do it on a law on a large scale over and over and over again but as you get better at that you learn how to to, to operate under the duress of a real life scenario, blah, 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 blah. And the techniques are very sound in that regard. Now, a lot of the techniques of sport jujitsu are not going to translate into an MMA fight or into an, or not an MMA fight into an actual self-defense element. Like I said, I always bring this up. I hate to bring it up, but I used to work at a bar. You know what I mean? I've been in quite a few freaking scenarios. I can tell you I've never shot a double leg <laughs> on anyone <laughs> in, a, in a street fight. It just doesn't happen that way. It's all about getting to the clinch. clinch. And once you're to that clinch, you're on that position, everything just seems to happen. It's amazing how much closing attentions and closing in, the fight just tends to figure out a way to get to the ground, and then you work from there. So the the question I have you, and this is something that I bring this up because we're doing takedowns in our gym this month. And normally we we start on our knees. And the reason why we do that is because, you know, I – Personally, I believe it a lot. The, the most the most amount of injuries in jujitsu come from takedowns. Wrestling is just rough on your body. It's rough. It, people get hurt when they get slammed on the mat, and you lose students and things like that. And, and it kind of is off putting at times, sometimes. And that's just my perspective on it. Just in, so, but this month we are purposely training takedowns to make sure people understand that idea. So, what do you say to guys that are concerned about hurting their students? in an actual standing apparatus and they start to go down to their knees just to make it easier for them to do that. 
Uh, I think there's a way to train takedowns. I mean, there's, uh, you know, pretty much every takedown has to be modified for jujitsu, whether it's judo takedowns, whether it's, it's uh, because in judo you can do, you know, it's change from upper body to double leg. Um, so, you know, even if you have a high level judo guy, they need to, you know, be, now be aware that in, ju in uh, jujitsu, you can go single leg, double leg. Um, now in, in wrestling, you gotta, you know, gonna, you're gonna have to modify because now you have beautiful takedown and now you're tapping because you just got guillotine. So, um, you know, and jujitsu has to be modified itself for, you know, if, if it's used in an MMA scenario. So again, I, I think there's, there's gotta be modifications. Um, I'm a big fan, like. Every one of my classes starts with takedown. And basically, you know, uh, we spend usually about 10, 15 minutes on takedown. And, you know, if it's a fundamental class, we, we will use more fundamental takedowns. You know, like say you grab the lapel, you, you, you kind of push the guy off diagonally, scoop up the single leg. And then, you know, you could either, drag, you know, kind of bring your elbow in and, you know, it's, it's a fairly gentle takedown. Or you bring your knees to the mat and you switch to a double leg. Um, I teach my students to also not to necessarily slap out like people do in judo. So if I'm being taken down, I'd rather go for the, you know, either if I can get the guy's head, if I, but if, even if you can, if you're relatively big in it, just grab the triceps, tuck in your chin, grab your triceps. Cause in judo, if you get, you know, you get launched matches over, even if you land on the guy's back and you can choke him, doesn't matter. The match is over in jujitsu. It's just, just beginning. So you, if you slap out, you kind of wasting valuable time you know, getting your, your, your opponent just tossed you down to it's my slap out. You mean break, fall, smack, break, fall. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, to, to engage them, break their posture. Now. Okay. I, I don't care if I'm taken down. If, if I can break the guy's posture off the takedown and attack the arm or, uh, or triangle or sweep them immediately, then it's, I'm happy to, to, to get the takedown, but there's ways to sort of modify takedowns to make it a little safer for, for, for the beginners, you know, so they don't, get that you know concussive effect or you know that whiplash as they're going down i i ask you that for my personal frame of reference too to tell you the truth i i toil with that back and forth a lot because again i want to keep guys safe but i don't i don't ever like giving people the false illusion of safety now i i i would debate greatly that you know started on your knees is still a whole lot better than nothing and the clinch oh, a lot of times materializes quicker than you think it does in an actual also altercation. Like you, people just end up grabbing each other. And again, once I get a hold of you, jujitsu just takes over and it's easy yep. to figure out. Even if I just fall to the ground and pull you on top of me, now you're underground and you're in my world and let's go from there. Um, so I, I, I ask you that on the, on the reference of, I'm just curious. I, I want to know someone that's been in the game as long as you have. I mean, we trained jujitsu for shit longer than I've been freaking, you know, Longer than I was probably in high school when I started training in Um So to, to hear your points on that, I, I take uh, I take into into a core very seriously. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, I think it's important. I, like the first thing I tell, especially in the fundamental classes, judge the distance, clinch. That's the yeah. two most fundamental things that sometimes get get neglected in, in jiu-jitsu. But uh, I agree with you. And you know, in a in a, in a, in a boxing fight, you know. In, in a, how often do the guys clinch all the time, all the time. Right. It's, in, it's in, in, intuitive to people to clinch. We just need to make sure that you do it in a way that benefits your ground game at the end yeah. of the day. 100%. All right. All right, Fox. I got, I got a question for you. Cause we've, we, we talked about, can you get better at jujitsu without takedowns? Can you get better at jujitsu without other things? So I just want to know, do you think, I could get better at jujitsu. Anybody can get better, better at jujitsu. I, I don't know. You're, I, you're pushing I, it there. <laughs> I'm not talented. It's all work. If you put in the time, it, you'll get better. There's going to be guys that might have talent that are going to be better faster, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I've seen way too many talented guys bail out. You know, just it, they don't appreciate it or they can hack the fact that, you know, six weeks after training, they're not the top dog in the academy. And uh, but anybody can get better, so just put in the I, time. I think that it's really cool. I would love to. Uh, the, my actual question, without throwing myself to the bus too much, I, I think as a, as someone who's who's looked up to a lot by by the students and and who has to maintain a gym ecosystem, this you know outbreak it sent a lot of people home. It took a lot of people off the mats, but now we're starting to get people coming back. And you know, if you're like me, you're realizing, oh man, I'm the I've lost a step. You know, it, it definitely atrophies if you're not keeping up with it at that same competition ready right before quarantine. 
Um, how do you approach helping students get their their feet wet again, like helping them ease back into jujitsu without like, you know, making making them feel just self conscious about how much they've lost. Uh, you know, I have several sayings. One of my favorite sayings is Rome was not built in a day, you know, because you see a guy that just literally first day on the mats and he looks like, you know, all embarrassed that he can't do it. And, you know, like I'm telling him, like, listen, Rome was not built in a day. Everybody else on the map that you see here started in the same spot that you started. Now, that's just starting out. Now, when people are coming back, I uh, this is one thing that I've I've seen over and over and over in the years, you know, because people get nervous about coming back especially after long layoff. I've seen guys come off, you know, come back after um, ACL surgeries, maybe nine months out. And basically, you know, they couldn't train, but all they were doing is, you know, drilling collar chokes and they come back and, you know, their timing is off their, their, um, their wind is off, but they're, if they get their bits on, on your collar, you're done. Um, and, but there's, there's also people that may not have done anything. Uh, I encourage people to absorb visually that that was kind of one of the, one of the things that I think kind of fed me through that, you know, when we did the daily YouTube troubleshooting, cause I think people will absorb things visually. And I've seen that in myself, like say, for example, if I go to corner one of my guys at a high level tournament, IBJJF worlds, ADCC or whatever, and you watch the tournament, you, you absorbing things on a subliminal level visually even though you're not actually drilling it physically so there there is that so people and actually believe it or not there were so, like viewers we had viewers from japan and korea and a few other places that actually sent me messages that their their lockdowns got eased before ours and they said they didn't do anything just watch every day the the, the videos and they said, you know, they were hitting some of the techniques I was showing, even though they've never actually spent time drilling them. They just visually absorbed them. And their teammates said, hey, like, were you secretly training? So th that's another aspect that visually, if you've been watching videos, I think that will help you get back. But the most important thing is this. When you're out for a long time, even I've seen guys come back after two years and their game is not much work. Like they retain the technique. What they will have lost is timing, which you literally get back within two to three weeks, and wind. Wind takes six to eight weeks, but the, so the, the the endurance, the the you know just aerobic endurance, you'll get back six to eight weeks. Timing takes two to three weeks. The technique does not really leave you. So I would say to uh, my advice to people is like, don't worry about it that much. Within like in in two years, assuming there is no other. Uh, you know, another virus or anything like that. In two years, this is going to literally going to be like a blip on a radar screen, even if you miss three, six months or more. It's important. That's a very good point, man. I, I think that encompasses so much more of our life. I always remember that like two years really isn't anything in the grand scheme of things. Like two years is, eh. Remember that we're in, in, in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're all going to look back and be like, remember that two year span where everything sucked and everything was on lockdown <laughs> because of COVID. Uh, here we are now still talking about it. Everything's yeah. fine. Everybody's alive. The world keeps turning. Well, I mean, people, I'm people not shy. I, I always find a way to train with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, Fox, thank you so much for your time. This has been a really enlightening conversation. I can't wait to stop by once I'm back in the, in the home state. Oh, I'm living in New York. Please do. Days. Please do. Um, yeah. Uh, this is usually the top part of the show where we let the guest kind of pump out any, any kind of social media or initiatives or businesses they've got going on. So if you want, got anything you want to plug, you can feel free to do that right now. Sure. It's very easy guys. I got a couple of instructionals arm bars uh, and guillotine so far and BJJ fanatics. All you got to do put, is put Fox in search box. Everything you want to know about, if you want some free instructional, just go to silver Fox BJJ YouTube channel. Everything is under silver Fox BJJ. It's easy. We have silver Fox BJJ.com silver Fox BJJ YouTube channel. And, uh, like I said, if you just go to, uh, BJJ Fanatics and put in Fox and you'll find me. So that's it. Dope, man. All right. Well, <laughs> for, for, for me, yeah. for me, thank you so much, uh, Silver Fox. You're awesome. I've talked to you quite I appreciate a few it, guys. We always correspond to one another. You're you're one of my favorite dudes to talk to. You're an awesome guy. Thanks for coming on. Give us your time in the middle of the afternoon and stay strong. 
uh, hopefully we'll get back to normal <laughs> again here pretty soon and, uh, and be able to come back to doing jujitsu on the reg. But thank you again. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Thank yeah. you very much. No problem. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, guys. And well, this has been another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. Silver Fox, thank you so much for stopping by and giving us some of your wisdom. Uh, again, uh, all the links to everything he mentioned will be found down below, as well as the link to our sponsors, No Judges Needed. But until next time, I've been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. Thank you. Stay safe and hug your loved ones, all right? We love you. Good night. <laughs>